have a question for you this morning. How many of you have ever had plans that were set and that were, you thought were going to go in a certain direction only to have them completely blown out of the water? My freshman year in college, I had a significant relationship. I was in a Christian band playing bass. Will's like, I should have known that. Um, I had a job. I had a really cool job. I had a cool college job. I worked at the movie theater. <laughs> you know, take some money, stand there. It's over with. Really, less work as possible to earn the minimal pay that I made back then because minimum wage was not close to what it was today. Anyway, I had this like whole world when I graduated high school, so I stayed in Jackson my freshman year because I had this whole universe, and this is what I was going to do, and this is the degree I was going to get. This is what the school was going to go to. And by the time my freshman year was over, all of that was gone. The relationship was gone, and the job was there, but it was a movie theater job. But my whole, everything that had me connected to town just kind of dissolved away. The band was not together anymore. The girl wasn't in the picture. It had all these ties that kept me home. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll go to Starkville. <laughs> so I did. I completely changed towns. I came here to go to college. Whole new set of circumstances, random roommate, the whole nine yards. I had this plan. It just wasn't what it was. But sometimes our plans get more directly. That was like gradual over time. Sometimes we have this plan that just literally just disrupts right in the middle of our face. And we, you know, we, when we explore the Advent story, we explore the Christmas story, we talk about Mary, we talk about Zechariah a couple weeks ago, we talk about angels and the shepherds and the wise men who were not at the manger scene, they came later. We talk about all those things, but we don't talk about Joseph much. Can you imagine what must have gone through Joseph's mind during this story. So we're going to explore the disruption that Joseph went through. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Matthew has spent the first half, or more better than the first half of the chapter, giving us the pedigree, giving us the family tree of Jesus down to establish who he was, who, what line he belonged to, and to ground us in redemptive history to understand that Jesus was the promised one, the Messiah. He says, so he gives us begat, 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 begat. Fun devotional time to read. Lots of names you can't read. And the word, so-and-so had a son, and then so-and-so had a son for eight, 17 verses. But there's a significance to it. He wants us to know who Jesus is and what family he belongs to. And then in verse 18, he starts in on some of the details around the birth of Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph... Being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the angel, in a dream, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the, 
by the Lord through the prophet, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel. They shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Hey, maybe that's where we get that at connection. God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took, his, he took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son and he named him Jesus. Joseph. I'm Joseph. I have a plan. I have a betrothed. I have a future wife that I'm going to marry. We're going to live here. This is what we're going to do, says the angel. <laughs> Complete disruption of the plan. He's in process, and now he has a problem. He's found out that Mary is expecting a child. Now, we talked about last week about the fact that engagement in those days was more than our engagement now. That engagement in those days meant the legal arrangement had already been made. The bride price had already been paid. She already belonged to Joseph. And yet she was with child. Now, if you're Joseph, that's not how this is supposed to work. This is not the plan. This is embarrassing. This is challenging. This theoretically says something about Mary and her integrity, at least to him. The implication is he did not know the circumstances, right? Joseph is in the dark until the angel shows up. So he knew, he, he has discovered that she's with child, and he makes a plan. He has a solution to his plan. He has a plan to marry to marry Mary, marry Mary, to, to marry Mary and take her as his wife and have a life with her, and all that's great. Now she's pregnant. And so he does what all guys do. There's a problem. I must find a solution. So he plans to dismiss her quietly. That was the way that translation's worded. He plans to divorce her. Remember, the engagement is legal. It's a binding thing. It's a legal, they're legally married. And so he has to divorce her. Now, he had all the options before him. He had every right to take her into court and her family into court and embarrass and humiliate Mary. He had that right, that, that ability to do that. But the scriptures tell us that Joseph was a righteous man. He was a law keeper. In fact, he had all the law at his back to do that, to make to humiliate her for what had happened. He didn't know the origin of the baby, did he? But even not knowing, it says he planned to dismiss her quietly. What that means is in those days, the husbands who had all the legal authority, the wives had none, there was an option in Jewish culture where they could just write a letter notifying the family this was not going to happen and not make a big deal out of it. And so there's Joseph's solution. Well, this is not going to work out. I won't make a big deal out of it. I won't humiliate her. I won't humiliate her family. I won't go after her family in court for recourse. I'll just divorce her quietly. I'll just give them a written notice that we're not going to stay together. And that's Joseph's plan to the problem. That's his solution to the problem. And he's on a course, he's on a new course that's already been disrupted by circumstance. Things aren't working out the way he thought they should work out. And he comes up with a solution, and then the angel interrupts the solution. In verse 20. 
But just when he had resolved to do this, to dismiss her quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet. We know Joseph was in the dark because the angel explains the circumstances to him. This is not a typical pregnancy. This is not a typical baby. This is the Messiah, the one who will take away the sins of the world. Joseph, you don't have to be worried. Mary didn't betray you. It's not, you don't have to be afraid to take her as your wife. This is the promise that was meant to be kept. It's disruptive. Because like, can you imagine Joseph telling everybody, yeah, yeah, here's the Holy Spirit. Sure, Joseph. That's how that worked. Got it. I mean, can you imagine how that would have played out? What that would have been like for Joseph, let alone Mary. But he does it anyway. The angel comes to him in a dream, by the way. You know, there are others we talked about. It was this holy presence. Whoa. Joseph gets a dream. The angel appears to him in a vision and in a dream and says, hey, this is the way it's going to work out. You don't have to be afraid. This is a special child that you will name Jesus. And he says, because his name means he will take away the sins of his people. He will take away the sins of his people. Now, what's really interesting about the way that's phrased is the Jewish people have been looking for hundreds and hundreds of years for a Messiah who will take away their oppressor, who will kick the Romans out, who will set Israel free, the people of God free. And not only does the phrase not say anything about politics, it says it'll, and it doesn't even say Israel. It says, he will take away the sins of his people. That's more general than the nation of Israel. Because who are Jesus' people? Anyone who follows him, that includes us. So it's not a national statement, and it's not a political statement. It doesn't, the angel doesn't promise Joseph he's going to take away the Romans. He's going to take away the empire and set Israel free. It says he will take his, away his people's sin, the sins of the people of God. Wait, I thought we're supposed to take care of the Romans. No, wait, we're going to take care of the people of God. The name Jesus was actually a fairly common name, kind of like John or John Smith, because most moms wanted their son to be the Messiah. So lots of Jesus, lots of Joshua's, lots of, because Jesus means Yahweh saves. Literally is what it means. So lots of moms would be like, I think my son's going to be the Messiah. Let's call him Jesus. <laughs> Here comes the angel and says, Joseph, not only do you take Mary as your wife, this son, name this son Jesus. So it wasn't Joseph's idea or Mary's hopefulness. It was literally the messenger of God telling Joseph to call this one Yahweh saves because he's going to take away their sins. Then in the middle of the story, in the middle of, right in the middle of the story, Matthew drops in some commentary. Look at verse 22. 
and 23. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So Matthew is quoting, directly quoting Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah makes a prediction to the king that he was being a prophet to, that there will be a virgin born that will be a, a savior to his people. Now, it was, or be a sign to you that he will be the savior of his people. If you read 7.14. In other words, the prophecy that Matthew's quoting got fulfilled in Isaiah's day. But it's not the virgin birth, because it's actually 714 says a young woman, talking about a particular person that lived in that time that'll be assigned to you. They'll have a child, and they will call that child our Savior. So that happened during some of the whole like oppression before. Matthew sees it clearly as a prediction of the virgin birth, and he quotes it here. He says, There will be this, this is what was foretold in Isaiah or by the prophet Isaiah. A virgin will conceive, and that will be God with us. Now, it's interesting. It doesn't say in the prophecy, does it? They'll call him Jesus. It says, he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. So is this a contradictory passage? Does Jesus have two names? Was the prophet wrong? It says, they will call him Emmanuel because he is God with us. It's not so much that he's getting a separate name. is that that's what they will say about Jesus. That's what they will say about this son, that he, is the, he was or is God with us. And in that sense, the prophecy definitely came true. What did they say about Jesus when he was here? And what's really interesting about Bible prophecy, and the reason I bring up Isaiah, and it was fulfilled at some point through Isaiah, in the ministry of Isaiah and is being fulfilled again now, is that's kind of how Bible prophecy works. You go read Old Testament prophecy, there'll be a degree of it that gets fulfilled and that will get fulfilled. You realize that? That there are things about it that happen that will eventually happen again. It happens a lot with some of the New Testament prophecy, especially because where they prophet, Jesus predicted that the temple would be destroyed. Now, he was being, speaking metaphorically. The temple will be destroyed, and I will rebuild it in three days. But he also predicts the temple physically being destroyed, which the Romans did in 70 AD. But then there's a whole new temple. and All these things are tied together. It happens, and then it happens again later, too. For example, a much better example, actually. John makes a prophecy in Revelation that says they won't be able to buy or trade in the marketplace. It's kind of a famous one without a certain mark on their hand or on their forehead. A lot of Bible scholars think that's been fulfilled already during the time of the Roman Empire because there was a time where you could not go into a Roman marketplace without worshiping the God of that city. You couldn't buy and trade. By making an offering to whatever the God was of that town, you could not go then in the marketplace and participate business. You're a brand new Christian. What's one thing you cannot do? Worship another God. And so when you would go to, you would go to the marketplace to trade and sell, you would have to pay homage to the God, and they would mark that you'd paid your temple tax so that you could buy and sell. 
Sound familiar? It's happened. Revelation talks about it maybe happening again someday. That you would have to betray Jesus to participate in society was the prop was John was kind of speaking in code in Revelation to the people of his day, but he's also talking about what may eventually happen again. Fulfilled will be fulfilled again. The gospel itself is a already and not yet thing. What is Jesus' first sermon? First message to his followers: repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what Jesus says. John the Baptist said the same thing. Nation of Israel, repent. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is almost here. The kingdom of God is near. Jesus, one of some of Jesus' first messages are the same thing. Repent for the kingdom of God is with you. It's near. It's happened. Jesus has come. Jesus has been risen. The kingdom has been established, but not completely, not yet. Because I've told you before, we are in a second advent, are we not? They were anticipating the Messiah the birth of the one who will take away this, their sins, we are anticipating Christ's return. He's already been, but he's not yet returned. We're once again waiting for that return. It's been promised, and it will happen again. And what's interesting in verse 24 and 25 is Joseph's response to the angel, to the vision, to the prophecy, to all of it. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no relations with her until she bore a son and they named him Jesus. There's no Joseph worried about it. There's no commentary about Joseph begging or arguing. There's no negotiation. Excuse me. There's no thought process. The scriptures just has Joseph going, okay. <laughs> he had a plan. Mary ends up pregnant. He had a solution to the problem. The angel gave him another solution, a different solution than he had planned. His plans get disrupted over and over and over a couple times. And when the angel says, this is what you should do, and tells him this in a dream, we get a scripture where Joseph goes, Joseph did exactly what the angel said. There's no question. There's no debate. There's no negotiation. There's no delay. Joseph took her as his wife and remained faithful to their engagement until after Jesus was born. Remember, Jewish engagement was this arrangement that happened until they consummate the marriage later. The last verse tells us Joseph stuck with the engagement plan until Jesus had been born. He, was, he responded in complete obedience to disruptive message, regardless of what was happening to his plans regardless of what he thought was the best plan or the wise plan or the compassionate plan. In fact, Joe, you could honestly say that Joseph, the scripture says Joseph was righteous, right? It's kind of, he's kind of an example of somebody who has high moral standards and yet is compassionate at the same time because he didn't drag Mary into court and do everything that the, the law empowered him to do. He's this guy who has high morals, but also has a heart towards what's right. And he's the one that gets shocked Disrupted announcement. And one of the other things that's different about this one, the other two, not only did the angel physically show up instead of a dream, the way it's relayed, the others were these promises of something to come. You're going to have a baby. It was an announcement, a birth announcement. Joseph gets a directive. 
he gets told what to do. He doesn't get, hey, you're going to have a son. You're going to be a dad. He gets, this is what you should do, even though you don't think you should do it. He gets told what to do. So what about for us? How do we take a story that happened thousands of years ago and how do we tie it to our own life in 2021? Well, I asked the question at the beginning of the sermon, how many of you ever had plans that just blew up in your face? <laughs> that were just so, dis that were disrupted. You had a set, you had a vision, you had an idea, you had a trajectory that you were on, this degree, this career, this relationship, this is where I'm gonna go, this is where I'm gonna live. McMansion at the beach, it's gonna be awesome. Boom. Maybe, if that's been your experience, God's trying to redirect you. Maybe if you've been so sure you were right, God is trying to help you understand that you don't quite have a plan. Why did God intervene? You ever wonder about that? Why did God jump into Joseph's dreams and go, no, 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 that's not what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. You ever thought about that? Why does God do that to us? No, no, I know you think you're going to be all that, but this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to move. This is who I want you to be with. This is what I don't, who I don't want you to be with. <laughs> you know, who, how do I know who the right one is? There was an angel in my dream. We're breaking up. You know, like, how do you know? Why would God intervene in these circumstances? What does that tell us about who God is? Joseph is doing what he thinks is right. He's not being immoral. He's divorcing her quietly. He's not making an embarrassment of her. What's wrong with that? It would have blown God's redemptive plan. Joseph could not mess up what God intended to do. Even when he thought he was doing the right thing. And he wasn't, or he was doing the right moral thing, but he wasn't doing what God wanted him to do. God has to step in and intervene. For us, I don't mean to be fatalistic about this, but for us, think about that. Because sometimes we're anxious. Am I doing what God wants? One of the things that's inherited in this story is you can't not do what God wants. Because if you're so stubborn that you're not seeing the hints, and if you're so sure when you're wrong... If God has to, he is going to send an angel to your dreams to wake you up. <laughs> he is going to disrupt and blow up your plan. You cannot misstep. Can you do immoral wrong? Yes. Can you make a bad choice and have a consequence? Yes. Can you disrupt God's plan? Can you prevent God from doing what God is going to do? No. And so that anxiety, that worry about, am I going to go here and he doesn't really want me to? You don't have to worry about that. You might end up in the belly of a fish. You can't blow it up. Jonah, I'm going to go this way and purpose. <laughs> God says, yeah, watch this one, buddy. You can't mess it up. And you can flaunt God's will. You can disobey God on purpose. You have the free will to do that. That's not what I'm saying. But even... Jonah led those sailors who threw him overboard back, led them to God. One of the craziest things about that story is after he's thrown overboard and they're spared, the scriptures tell us they praise God. 
the sailors on the ship. Jonah ran in the opposite direction where God told him to go, and they were changed. God used those circumstances to change those sailors. And where did Jonah end up? Maybe I should have taught from Jonah. That would have been a fun Bible passage. Where did Jonah end up? Still in the direction God originally sent him to go. Still saved the people of Nineveh. God still accomplished his plan, even though Jonah said, no, I'm not doing that one, and ran the other way. Jonah was trying to disrupt God's plan. If you're trying to follow it, how can you screw it up? If you can't disobey it and screw it up, how can you screw it up by trying to follow it? What I'm saying is we can trust God to accomplish his redemption of us. It cannot be blown. It cannot be disrupted. Jesus still chose Judas as a disciple. You think he knew when he called him to follow him? Charlie, do we have free will? Yes, of course. But when God's talking about a plan that he's had since the garden, when he looked at Adam and Eve and said, your son will crush his head and he will strike his heel, that promise cannot be thwarted. It can't. God's redemptive plan can't be disrupted. The reason we have joy and the reason we have peace and the reason we have love at the first, because of the story of the first advent is because Jesus was going to be here because we needed Jesus to be here and there was nothing that could stop it. Not Herod, not Joseph trying to put her, divorce Mary, nothing. Think about it, the thousands of years that happened before that. The battle, the king, the begats that were in the first part of Matthew that had to happen the way they happened so that Jesus would arrive when Jesus arrived. Nothing was going to thwart God's accomplishing his plan. God normally reveals himself through normal means. God normally works in our conversations, in our service, in our sacrifice, in our faithfulness. God normally works that way. We're free to live into the life that he's called us to live. But if he has to, your donkey will talk to you. <laughs> if he has to, you'll spend three days in the belly of a fish. I am speaking metaphorically here, of course, right? When you find yourself running through bri into brick wall after brick wall after brick wall, not able to accomplish something you think it is you're supposed to accomplish, maybe that's the vision and the dream trying to tell you to change direction. But you can rest in the fact He's not going to let you blow through that wall. He's not. You can't outmaneuver God. <laughs> Joseph couldn't do it. Jonah certainly couldn't do it. Herod couldn't do it. Kill all the babies under two. I'm threatened. Not more, not more than God can handle. Not more than God could do. In those, in those situations. Some of those situations are moral choices. Some of those situations are immoral choices. God still accomplishes his mission. He's the one that's faithful, even when we're not. He can be trusted more than our own ability. 
He's the one that can be trusted in the middle of our circumstances. If we have doubt, if we have questions, our, world, our plans have blown up and we're not sure where the next step is, we can trust the one who has the plan. He's trustworthy. Therefore, we have hope. Therefore, we have peace. And therefore, we have pure joy. Because the one who cannot fail is the one who guides, loves us, and is always with us. Emmanuel. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for this truth that reminds us that our own effort can't get there. Sometimes our own effort even runs contrary of what you want to do. But you are gracious and loving and patient. And sometimes when you have to be directive. And so we rest in that truth this morning that we can trust you in all things because our heart of heart knows you cannot fail. So that's where our heart rests this morning as we love you and we worship you. We trust in your providence, in your goodness, and in your faithfulness. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together.